Wonderful. Looks like I'll just use this one until you give me the okay on the headset. Jeff, if it doesn't work, that's fine. Well, good morning. I, last uh, Sunday morning, I just started a little two-part series, and I wanted just to finish it today. And, uh, and uh, I suppose I'm feeling more... We're on, are we? We are. Okay, great. You can turn that off. And uh, I wanted to turn our attention um, to Matthew chapter 5, and um, I want to just read uh, verses 11 to 20 to you, but verse 11 to 20, but um, this morning, uh, if you were, you'd be well aware, probably a lot of us, that uh, there's this wonderful sermon that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 called the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it was the first message that he spoke publicly as far as scripture records it. He might have uh, said something that hasn't been recorded, but certainly this is the one that was recorded. And it takes up the whole three chapters. I mean, it wouldn't have been just a five-minute job. It would have been at least an hour or more that he spoke this message. And, and maybe not everything was written down word for word, but it's certainly uh, what is written here certainly catches the theme of what Jesus is saying. There's a couple of things about this Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, and those couple of things is that it's, it's, you could read it and think it's individual messages. It's, it, it's not. It's a connected. It's all connected, what Jesus says here. Uh, we can't read all three chapters. I don't want to read all three chapters, but we'll, we'll refer to them. And the second thing is, is that you could be mistaken in thinking that these chapters and what Jesus says here is about Christianity versus worldliness, you know, worldliness in the sense of all those things that I've done wrong and failures and the moral corruption and all that stuff. And so Jesus is really addressing and sharing how Christianity and, and the world are two different things. They are. There is a vast gap um, between them. They are different. But you would be wrong in thinking it's Christianity and worldliness. It's, now, as I said last Sunday, it's Christianity versus, versus religious legalism. And Jesus is talking about... Uh, Christian goodness, this terminology that I've coined, Christian goodness versus religious righteousness. And I wanted to just go a little further today. I want to just quickly recap on, uh, quickly at the start, what I said last week, but I want to go a little further with it because I think there's something that the Lord just really wants to speak in our hearts as his people. Okay, so uh, Matthew says this, starting in verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the what of the earth? Salt. You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, for you do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house." Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I come to destroy the law of the prophets. I do not come to destroy but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one little or one tither will by, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore speaks of the least of these commands and teaches them, so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20 is interesting. But I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. When you see the word scribes and Pharisees, you could just say religious leaders, okay? Is anybody with a, with a legalistic bent on their, um, on their belief system? And that's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those religious leaders, unfortunately were about, they were pretty much wrapped up in themselves and not in God at all. So there's a contrast um, between Christian values, Christian goodness, and what I call um, religious righteousness. Um, if I was to maybe example this, I had a man come to my door some years ago. I wasn't living in the present house, I was living in another house over in Park Street near the hospital, and a man came knocking on the door. You've had the same people knock on your doors. And uh, as he came and knocked on the door, I, he introduced myself. He was a very pleasant man. I, I was pleasant back to him. And he wanted to sell me some stuff. Um, I declined. It was fine. And he, he, I let him share what he wanted to share in relation to what his belief system was. And his, his, to be honest, some of his belief systems were pretty close to the Christian faith. And so as, as he shared, then I, let, I, he, I said, can I now share with you? And I shared with him about my belief system. And so we had a good conversation. It was going really well until I said, you know, I've got an idea. Can we pray together on the front of my doorstep? And right there, his face went from a nice, colorful, you know, normal color. It, it just like a shade of gray. It was just like something that died in his life. And I said, I, I just want to pray with you. And then he stuttered over his words, and he didn't know what to say. He was going, he looked embarrassed, he looked, he looked shaken, and he finally came out with it in a way. And what he was basically saying with me is, if I pray with you, I'll pollute me. I'll pollute my belief system. I can't pray with you because you're a different... And he, was, he didn't know how to put that because he thought that's it's a little bit offensive, but he finally kind of got it out. And I, and I didn't get offended at him. I said, that's okay. I wasn't going to let him off the hook. I said, you pray, I won't pray, so to speak, out loud. And so he, he prayed this seven-second prayer, and, and what he prayed was good. And so I thought, oh, amen. I'm, and I'm going, amen, I agree with you. you know? And I thought, oh, I did say I wasn't going to say anything. But anyway, my goodness, I've never seen a guy get down the front door, down the, down the front steps and down the footpath and away as quickly as he did. He was embarrassed. He was like, I've just been polluted. I've just been stained by this heathen religious person. And I thought, far out. And I want to just emphasize there was two sad things about that meeting that had the same reality of what Jesus is talking about in these passages of Scripture here today. Because the religious leaders, in a way, were like that. The first one that was sad about my friend is that um, the first problem was um, his whole heart was to get a convert to his belief system and to sell me material so that at least maybe his heart and his thoughts generally were, if I do this, God will give me favor. God will see me as much better than I was before. And the more notches I can get on my gun belt, the better. It was almost, because his spiel was so monotone and so, I've got to get this stuff out to you because if I do it, and I do so many people on a Saturday morning, I'll have achieved my goals and, you know, I might be one of those 144,000 and giving, not giving away any belief system that I'm talking about. But, you know, um, 
So that was sad to see that I was just going to be another number on his, on his, on his um, score sheet. The second thing that was sad about it was when he tried to explain to me that we couldn't pray together. And, and unfortunately, what he was saying to me was this, that my level of belief is so far higher than you. So far higher. You know, I'm, and isn't that exactly what the Pharisees were like and the religious leaders? You know, I've got this belief system and all these rules and laws that I obey. And, you know, anybody who doesn't, I mean, you're just a lower person, you know. And that was a sad, I just felt sad for him. I wasn't in any way offended. I was, I was a bit cheeky, to be honest with you, in the whole situation. I remember having a couple other young guys in lovely white shirts come to me one day and, and um, on the same doorstep and I engaged them and that, they're really nice guys. And uh, I engaged them with my belief. They told me about theirs. And I just said to them, you know, I hate to see such two wonderful young men like you go to hell. <laughs> and um, they quickly kind of got out of there as well. And I thought, Lord, you know, I shouldn't say those type of things. But anyway, I suppose my heart just wanted to challenge them. And, you know, whether I was right or not, maybe they're, you know, believe, maybe they've got their heart right, Jesus, and they're not going to go there. That'd be great, wouldn't it? So anyway... So what challenges me about these, these, these things is that there's such a sense that we've, got to, that we've got to, in our Christian life even, it can creep into our lives and it can be this, I've got to, I've got to make um, God love me more. I've got to make his favor more upon my life. And, and we don't literally say that, but sometimes we go through life and we think if I'm having a good day, God's favor is upon my life and God loves me today. But if I'm having a bad day, well, maybe, you know, I just do too many, I've, I've, I've kind of, Got too many sins on the on the sin scale, and you know God is not going to show me His favor today because I've just got too much built up, you know. And it's not true that way, and I want to explain that as we go along. It's not the case at all because that's how the the, the religious righteous look at it. If I could just appease God, folks, you couldn't appease Him any more than you could today. Just He loves you, isn't that great? <laughs> he doesn't. He's disappointed in the the failings of my life. I, I disappoint him, but it doesn't change his love for me. Anyway, the second thing that you know, we've got to be just aware, what challenges me is have I have a tendency sometimes that just allow those thoughts to creep into my thought that I've got to, I've got to appease God today. I've got to. And the second thing is, is that what other things can sometimes creep into my lifestyle is that, well, you know, I've, I've attained such a spiritual sense of I'm up here and you know, some other people aren't that high, you know. It's got nothing to do with it. We're all, it's equal ground at the foot of the cross, folks. We all stand together equal. And it's not superiority. It's not one culture over another, one race. It's equal, equal, equal. It always has been in God's eyes, always will be. And, and when we start, and, I, and I've got to be careful that that, that that tendency sometimes doesn't creep into our life. It challenges me. I, what about you? How we walk our Christian life. Because there's definitely... Christian goodness, but there's also this religious righteousness that just wants to creep in sometimes. That Pharisee kind of spirit still hangs around. The enemy's still there. Because if he can't get you being a really bad sinner, he'll just get you to be a really bad religious Christian. And you know what? Jesus says that some of those people won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking, I am challenged by that. <laughs> that is a heavy, that's a heavy story, that one. <laughs> You mean I've done all this for you, God, and yet I won't be in there? He says, yeah, yeah I saw you. You know, that's just, well. So I, 
And I want to tell you how that cannot happen to us today. Is that cool? See, Jesus says in Matthew 6, when you pray, would you just stop praying to impress other people? And would you just, he says, I want you to pray, but you don't have to impress anybody. He says, you pray looking for the, you know, God to, God to be impressed. And when you give, it says in Matthew 6, when you give to the poor, don't blow your own trumpet as if you want to show everybody what you're giving. Just give out of a heart of giving, you know. Just give. And that's what Jesus addresses in this Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to read every verse, but I'm just going to give you skeletons of it so you understand. Um, the religious righteous are all about the actions of righteousness and not the heart of righteousness. Um, it, you know, there's definitely things that we need to do. But anyway, we, I won't go there before I need to. See, um, as I mentioned last week, there's a couple of things about Christian goodness that are completely different religious righteousness and legalism. And one of the things, as I mentioned, was Christian goodness is brighter. And you may ask, what, what do I mean by brightness? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, we, we just read it here, didn't we? Um, and there's a wonderful picture of a bulb. It says this. It says, you're the light of the what? The world. And, the, and, and, um, and there's two groups of people. Two groups of people he talks about. He says, we've both got lights, but one puts their light under a, a bowl and hides it. The other takes their light and shines it for everybody to see. Um, and there's a difference, he says. Putting, don't put it, under, put it on a lampstand or put it under a bowl. You need to, what are you going to be? What are you going to be? And um, have you ever been into Woolworths and stood in front of that section in Woolworths in one of the aisles with all the light bulbs? And you've just gone... Mike, so many to choose from. Do I choose the $4 one that's got high wattage but loses a lot, uses a lot of power and only lasts six months? Or do I choose the light bulb that's like low wattage, less power use, cost me 20 bucks in the last two years? What do I choose? Do I choose the screw type or the pin type? Do I, what do you choose? You know, you know, it's like that ad that used to be on telly. Remember the ad where the gentleman would come into the grocery store and he'd say to the lady behind the counter, I just, wanna, I just want some milk, and she rattles off 10 different types, skim, trim, you know, fat, full fat, no fat, all fat, I don't know. And she mentions all these things, and he just stands there and says, I just want milk. I just, I just feel like that sometimes with light bulbs. I just, just give me a light bulb that's bright. Someone come and help me here. There's just too many to choose from. And I think God stands in heaven and says, would you just be bright light bulbs? You're all different. That's fine. You're, you're all on the, uh, in the aisle there. But, you know, you've all got a purpose. Just shine it. <laughs> just shine it. Because ultimately, as, I, as I've mentioned there's a couple things about being bright and light and brightness. And Christianity is attracted, not attractive, it's attractive, but Christianity is attracted. I'm Because as a light, often a light needs to be attracted to what? Darkness. And if you could just see that as a Christian, if I want to have Christian goodness, it's completely different to religious righteousness because religious righteous people say, I don't want to be in the darkness because I don't want to pollute myself. I don't want to be a part of that. Religious legalism actually says, I'd rather condemn you than help you. Because <laughs> you're just too sinful. Well, hello, so am I. <laughs> All of us are. But Christian goodness says, I'm attracted to those dark places because I've discovered you don't have to fight darkness, you just have to turn on the light. And, and it's, 
I think Christian goodness says, I'm attracted to where there's a need. I'm attracted to where we need to help. And you know, you, you, you guys do it. You go out there, you help, you support, you love people. We need to continue to do that. We need to be the church in the community. Um, and so we, we need to continue to realize that in the darkest places is where we need to be attracted to. I, uh, you know, sometimes I've got this terribly wrong and sometimes I've got it pr- pretty good. Not perfectly right because perfection's pretty high on the scale, isn't it? But, um, you know, I always remember we were walking in the mall. I think I told this story some years ago. And uh, in the mall, there's all these people who want to sell you stuff. And my, my um, general attitude is, you know, just smile and say, no, thank you. You know, I'll walk past because you know, I've got places to be and things to do. Um, but uh, I was with my wife, never walked with Michelle up through the middle of the mall. And, she, and we walked past those people, and there's a couple of guys, one's in a wheelchair, he's got a smile bifida, and they're selling um, raffle tickets to raise money for the cause of those kind of diseases. Doing a great thing, and they're obviously there. The mall only allows people who are genuine, and so, so they're in there, and we get about five meters, and Michelle says, honey, I've got to go back, and I'm going, Back where? Back to that guy. What for? I'm going to go and talk to him. I just feel prompted. I need to go and talk to him about the Lord. I said, ah, yep, okay. I'm a bit of a shame on my part, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no problem. I'll just stand over here and support you from a distance. <laughs> and so she goes back to this guy in the wheelchair. He gives her the spiel. She listens with a big smile on her face, knowing what she's going to share next. I'm watching her going, oh, Michelle. Yeah. You do this so well. And then she gives him the spiel. And, you know, he's like, ah. And then she says, can I pray for you? And he says, yeah. And so not in some highfalutin prayer she, with her eyes open. She just takes his hand and prays and bless this guy. Lord, just thank him for what he's doing. He's a good man. Just help him to come to know you. And he, she, Michelle says, you like that? He says, yeah, I love that. Thank you. She says, see ya. Hopefully in heaven. And walks away, you know. <laughs> and, um, and I said, you finished? Oh. You know, I think, oh, you know, in hindsight, I realize how, what a dude I, you know, am and a shame and all that type of things on my life. And, and, you know, but I felt really excited for her. But, you know, and then I started to feel bad about myself. What is wrong with you? Why don't you just be a light in the world? You just have to step out of your little comfort zone and just love people, you know. So for three years, you might be aware, this church and other churches I established along with another guy in our church, a thing called Night Chaplaincy. And, and so for three years... Um, we went out on the streets on a Saturday night, early Sunday morning, and some of you were involved in that, and I thank you for that, but it was just being light and darkness. We've just got to continue to be that. That's, that's genuine Christian goodness, isn't it? Because religious righteousness just says, yeah, you, you know, I'd rather condemn you than bless you. <laughs> and uh, I was remember one night I was with a couple other chaplains. Ron Hawkins is the, who owns McDonald's. He was out there. Talk about a guy after heart of the community. He's with me and his wife and this young... There's hundreds of people who are drunk. I mean, every night, hey, Mel, that was just drunk. I mean, Mel's used to that. He knows what... No, I won't say that. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> no. But anyway, we were out there and uh, hundreds of people just drunk. And this precious lady, about 24, young lady, she falls over in front of us on the footpath. High heels and drunkenness don't go together, ladies. Um, anyway, she's laying there and Ron... and and Sue were with me, and we, we talked to her for a while. We just want to see if she's like, she's, I said, you okay? She says, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing well. <laughs> and uh, and uh, 
And then she finally realized who Ron and Sue were because she was one of their ex-managers from McDonald's. <laughs> and she felt embarrassed, and we felt for her. And, and so I did what I think Jesus would have done. I reached out my hand and said, can I help you up? And she said, you sure can. And I helped her up, and I took the high heel shoes. I said, don't wear them again tonight. Put them under her arm. And uh, she walked off. But, you know, I just think that, you know, it's continually just that um, she felt the sense of what she was doing was wrong, and I didn't have to say too much. But if she'd asked me the question, why do you do this, which we often got, we did share with people. I want to just encourage us that we could have a choice right there. I think the light of Jesus Christ is the hand that reaches down. And we're going to continually be that. And some of you are really in tune with that because that's what you, you're motivated for. I, let me encourage you to continue to do it. But for all of us, let's continue to see that we're all at different personalities and we're different characters and we find some things easier than others and how to be light in this community. But may we continue to realize that we can all do a little bit in this. And if you would just pray some simple prayers like, God, today, just give me an opportunity and go with expectation. You'll find that light opportunities, taking your light from under the bowl and putting it on the lampstand for all to see, will come your way. Will come your way. So we've kind of said enough about that. So Christian goodness is attracted to darkness, but Christian goodness is also attractive because we read that we're salt, aren't we? And salt is tasty and salt preserves meat and does all those type of things. And I, I really think that as Christians, when we go into situations like maybe the main street of Gladstone, you know, in those terrible hours, but we go and help drunk people, I really think we make things better. And that's what salt does. It makes things better. So... That's the short version of it with a little extra. But here's the other thing that I want to say today about Christian goodness. Christian goodness is not just brighter, but it's also deeper. And I want to explain what I mean by this. Matthew examples uh, something in Matthew chapter 7. Um, he says in Matthew 7, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. We just didn't read it this morning, but it's there. It talks about two people who build houses. We all live in a house of some type, a unit, whatever it is. And these people basically built the same house, but one built on the rock with deep foundations. You know the story. And the other built the house on sand with no foundations. The same storm came. Isn't it amazing? It rains on the good and the bad, but you know, it, it rains on the, you know, the same people. But um, the people have built on the rock with strong foundations, deep foundations, solid, substantial foundations, the house is still standing. The ones that had no foundations built on the sand, their house has collapsed. We know the analogy. Clearly, you can understand that. But I want to just say that Jesus here is referring very clearly to the reality. Sometimes we think, oh, that's Christianity in the worldly living. No, I, I really believe it's Christianity versus this legalism. Because people with religious righteousness and legalism, no foundations in life. No heartfelt. It's all about the external, nothing about the internal. It's nothing about what's deep in their life, what's something strong in their life. And there's no heart in it. It's just actions, rules. I just go. And so it all collapses. It all fades away because it's all about the external and not the internal strength of character and life and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, relationship with the Lord, a relationship in your heart. Um, one of the things I find about Going deeper, what Jesus is talking about there, the two buildings, is it's not just a relationship with God, but it's a relationship in understanding your own heart attitudes. It's understanding where your heart is and understanding, do I really, do I really got a grasp with this Christian? Do I really, 
serve God with my heart and, and love for Him, or do I just serve Him with an external action and I have to do this? You know, that's the question I ask myself and I continue to ask myself. Verse 20, we haven't got up there, but it just said this before. It says, I say to you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That would have blown everybody away. Do you know why it would have blown everybody away? Because everybody knew that the Pharisees and the religious leaders had about 625 different rules they had to keep. And I'm only kind of, it's up there somewhere. There's probably a few more or a few less. But that was their job. The Pharisees would go through the day ticking them off. We've done that. We've done that. That was what they were about. That's their life. Making sure they get everything right so God is pleased with them. They get God's blessing. Um, and everybody else looks on them favorably. I've got the best seat in the house. I pray right. I give right. You know, it was all about this religiousity and their life. And so when the, Jesus said, your, your righteousness has got to be better than their righteousness, they're probably thinking, I've got to keep all those rules and laws. I can't possibly do that. I can't possibly do all the things that it's saying that I've got to do. And yet Jesus goes on to tell them that it's very possible, and it's not about just keeping rules and laws, but it's about your heart attitude. And he addresses in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 21, 27, 33, 38, and 43, he shares how this is possible. Over and over and over again, he emphasizes how it's very possible to live uh, and go deeper, and not just on the shallow surface with God, but be deep in relationship with God. Because he talks about several things. He talks about murder, for instance. He says, and he always prefaces it with these words. You've heard that it was said. And if you wrote those four, five verses down, 21, 27, 33, 38, 43, and you go and read, well, just read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. But if you read it, you'll see it. It says, you, Jesus always says in those verses, you've heard that it was said. For instance, you've heard that it was said you should not murder. Okay? But I say to you, he that even has a bad attitude in his heart commits murder. Whoa. Verse 27. You've heard that it said you should not commit adultery. But I say even a man who looks on a woman with lust in his eyes has committed adultery. Or vice versa. See, you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus gives us all these references about what's really important here. Is it the surface stuff or is it a little bit deeper what happens in the heart? See, talking about murder, he says righteous people are concerned about not physically murdering anyone, you know, but you can actually murder in your heart and you know, with your ill will, your dis despising people, with your indifference to them, you've killed them. Now that's a heavy, that's a heavy trip, isn't it? My attitude towards them is killing it. I'll let you decipher and think about that one. And then Jesus moves on to sex. He says about adultery. He says, you know, have you heard that it was said, don't commit adultery, but whoever looks in at last, blah, blah, blah. But can I just expand on that one? We won't go through them all, but, you know, the, the, the ethical sex um, ethic, ethical thing is, we all know, is no sex outside of marriage. Hey. It's all contained within the marriage, and it's a beautiful and wonderful thing, okay? Um, and I was just thinking about it, and I was thinking what Jesus is saying here, and I had to ask myself, do I really know what he's really saying? And as I just thought about it, um, sexual experience, I'm thinking, 
When you, when you have sex outside of marriage, what you're doing is you're saying, I want to have the physical, I want to have the external nakedness and vulnerability, but I don't want to give you any personal nakedness and vulnerability. I don't want to give you any heart commitment. So, so that's what sex outside. In other words, let's be naked, but I want to give up myself to be committed to you. I don't want to get married to you. I don't want to give up my independence. I want to continue to play the field. I've got options every weekend, and you're just one of them. You, you know, I'm not that. I'm giving to the extreme of some people, but the reality is, is that. We live in a society like that. And so Jesus says, when you want physical nakedness, but don't back it up with personal nakedness, putting your whole heart into a relationship, and then do you know what that's really called? He says, that's just lust. That's just lust. And more importantly, it's, the truth is, it was only ever meant for the commitment well before you ever get physical. It's, you know the story. It's always meant to be within the context of commitment personal nakedness of our hearts for one, to one another, talking, communicating, and relating. And then marriage comes, the commitment comes, and then, of course, that other physical side of the sexuality flows from that and not the other way around because you get it all messed up. And so if you can't leave physical nakedness to marriage and build a personal nakedness first, then there's usually a sign of lust as well, isn't it? And here's the deal, Jesus says, even when you fantasize about a man or a woman, and that is actually lust of the heart. It's not just the physical act, but the heart act as well. And that, he says, is called adultery. Whoa, that's heavy, isn't it? But it's the truth. In other words, Jesus is talking about um, your heart attitude is paramount through all these examples. Your heart attitude. See, the Pharisees were saying, well, you know, as long as I don't involve myself in murder or involve myself in adultery, I'm cool. I've got it. I could think about it. And Jesus says, no, you can't. That true. The most important thing about you is your heart attitude. We all know that, don't we? Your heart is more important than sometimes we do things and, you know, that's important. But it's your heart attitude behind it. Heart attitude. I'm telling you nothing, but I'm reminding you this morning I want, and so when Jesus says, and he goes on, he talks about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and all these types of things. But Jesus wants you to surpass, he says, I want you to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to change your heart attitude. Because religious people and religion is only concerned about externals. Christian goodness is really being sincere and facing up to the realities of their own heart. Their own failings, their own victories, their own strengths, their own things where they need to let change. And I think it's not about where you are and all, oh, I'm blowing it here, blowing it here. Yeah, that's fine. That's true. But the reality is, why don't you start today and just say, God, just bring a change in here. Just to change your heart. It's just a thought away. It's just a prayer away. It's just a change of habit. It's just a yielding to him. It's just a giving up of something to take on board what he has. It's not an external thing. It's a internal thing and Jesus is trying to emphasize that so Christian goodness is so much brighter but it's so much deeper because it's not about the external it's not about the house on the sand it's about the house with the deep foundation it's about that's the type of house he wants us to build and when we do that's a deeper relationship with him Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6 don't worry about your life, because I love the, I look after the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Remember, I mentioned this quickly last week. 
And what Jesus, and he says, don't I value you more than those things? And yet I look after them. Don't you think I'll value your life and look after you? And here's the real crunch point. The thing that makes the difference in our hearts and how we can be continually walking towards Christian goodness and walking away from religious righteousness and legalism. This is how we can. Is when we understand that God values us ever before we ever done anything right or wrong, God values us. Because the religious righteous people are continually seeking God's value by what they do, what they pray, how they pray, their many words, their many attitudes, their actions, their, oh, I've given, they're always seeking, God, are you, are you good with me today, God? You know, I've done all these things. They're always seeking that. They're always seeking value from God. Folks, you don't have to seek any more value from God. He values you. He wouldn't have created you and said, out of my life, I know that he, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, there was a wall of separation. Sin does that. But it doesn't mean he doesn't value Adam and Eve still. It doesn't mean he doesn't value you and me. He values us. If he values the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, how much more would he value us? And if you can understand that, that your value is it is signed, sealed, and delivered, it's settled, it's good, because Christian goodness is obeying God's law out of value, not seeking value because you know you're valued by God already. Does that make sense? You're valued already. And it's serving him, loving him, walking in obedience to him because you know you're valued. Not to gain any more of his value. Um, and if we can understand that, then we'll find our lives have an identity that is confident and healthy. And we can walk with the sincerity of Christian goodness and not a uh, falseness of religious righteousness in our lives. Um, a father was tucking his son into bed one night, and he asked him a question. He was about a seven-year-old, and he said, when, did I, when do I love you the most? He said, when do I love you the most? When you're fighting with your sister or when you're helping your mum with the chores? When do I love you the most? And the little boy was silent for a moment, and he said, Dad, you love me the most both times. And he said, exactly right. Your value will never change. Your value will never change. I love you when you're fighting with your sister. I love you when you're helping your mother. I just love you. I would di I'll be disappointed and have to you know, work through some, you know, um, some discipline here when you fight with your sister. But the reality is it doesn't change my love for you. And so we need to, if you can grasp that, that God's value of doesn't change whether you register high on the sin scale today or low, whether you succeeded today or failed, whether you're going through a... Uh, going, well today or going bad, whether you got, you're sick today or you're well today, um, you know, just because I'm sick, well, you know, God's not kind of likes me today, I'm sick, that's rubbish, I think we understand that. Whether it's raining on your party or whether it's sunshine today, it, it, it doesn't mean he's left you just because it's raining on your party. See, I think we've grasped it, but we need to understand that. We need to differentiate between God's value of us and everything else that happens in life. Um, God values me. You know, this morning, the greatest value, and we're going to just share around the communion today. We're going to just have communion. Communion is a wonderful word. It's not in the Bible. Um, well, it is, but uh, in a sense, but it's just talking about that times when we come and acknowledge Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And the fact of all that he's done for us. And one of the things that I think about 
when I come to share and just remember his death and his resurrection for me, and I take that little cup of juice, and it represents his blood, and I take that little biscuit, uh, represents his body today. He said, do this in remembrance of me. The thing that I'm really impressed is that Jesus Christ went to the cross for love. He went for the cross because he valued us. He valued humanity. He valued humanity. Um, he be, you know, God came down and became a man that was, um, excuse me, he became a man that went through agony for us, who, who went through um, reject, rejection. He, went, he, was, he was belittled. He was um, physically tormented. And yet he went through it because it was value in you and me because someone needed to pay the price for my failings and my sin. And Jesus put his hand up and said, I might be this son of God, I might be God, but I'm going to come into humanity and I'm going to make a way for them to be reinstated, reignited uh, with our Heavenly Father through the blood and the death of Jesus Christ and his body that was broken. And his value for us was immense. It was his value for us that led him to the cross. And I want you to see your value, my righteousness, my life, it says in the Bible, is like filthy rags. In other words, those who are taking out, doing the communion, if you could come forward, thank you. And just start to distribute it. My righteousness and my failings and my sin is not good. But if we could see our lives through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, that, there's a cross up here on the stage this morning. There's a couple of things about it. It's got little lights around it. And you know, it, 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 it's shining out something, a message. And the message is simply this, is that you are worth it. You are worth it. You are, even though your sin is maybe this much or that much or whatever, how much you might think it is, he says, you know, I came and you can place that at the foot of the cross, your failings, your sin, and you can say, Jesus, I thank you that you take it, and I thank you, God, that through the reflection of the cross, I am actually, and through the cross, I am actually seen as right before you, God. I am righteous before God because of Jesus Christ. It actually says in the Bible that Jesus went to the cross, the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. What joy was that? I think it was the joy of fulfilling his father's purpose for him. I think he was pretty excited about, you know, fulfilling God's purpose for him. I think there were some stages there he didn't want to do it because he knew of the personal and physical agony he would go through and the trauma. But he went through it because he was going to fulfill his father's purpose for him. But secondly, I think it was because he could bring us into that place and say, God, here they are. They've come through. They've received it. And I can present them to you as righteous because they've accepted the sacrifice that I brought. I think Jesus was pretty excited about you in 2018 on the 27th, is it, of May. Saying, hey, you know what? It's because they're here. They're, I present them to you through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are right living they haven't, they haven't lived right, but because of the ask for forgiveness, I see them as righteous. And they're highly valued by me. Can we remember this morning as we take this cup and we take this biscuit 
And can we just contemplate for a moment the incredible value that God has for you? And when you can contemplate the incredible value He has for you, do you know what? I see everyone else in all their failings as valuable too, especially those in the darkness of this world. I see, God, you value them. It's just that they don't accept you or don't receive you yet, but it needs a mouthpiece. It needs me to show them the value that you are, that you have for them. And as we take this cup this morning, may we see the reality that my life is not in the fulfillment of what I do, but it's who I am in God. What I do comes out of who I am and not the other way around. I'm not who I am because of what I do. What I do comes out of who I am in Christ. It's a big difference. It comes out of that healthy identity of knowing who I am in Jesus. And thus I can serve him and love him and be obedient to him because of that, that I'm valued. If you have your emblem this morning, would you mind standing? We'll just wait for everybody to receive. I don't want anybody to miss out. Brilliant. Andrew, could you just pray as we're about to do this? That'd be good. You have to turn that on. Just pray for us. So let's take, let's eat in remembrance of what Christ did for us today. 